Episode 41, Resilience. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Michelle and I discuss being resilient. We talk about what that looks like for us personally and what it looks like in a group setting. We also share our experiences of how we move, both ourselves and others, from a space of resistance to one of resilience. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome, everyone, to The Story in Your Head. I'm Michelle Masago. And I'm Ron Macklin. And today's fun topic is resilience. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and or the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. So I thought I'd start with sort of the common definition of resilience and then do a little ball toss over to Rod to say, how do you define and work with resilience? Uh, great. Thanks, Michelle. R- resilience, the way I hold it and work with it is bad stuff happens, right? Or should I say things we didn't anticipate or not what we desired, and those things will happen. Sometimes I cause them myself. Sometimes other people cause them. Sometimes they just happen. It's what stories do you have in your head that are preventing you or causing you to act in a way that doesn't take care of you. So when you have those stories in your head that keep you from being resilient, that's the space that I'm focusing on. To be uh, open and curious, to be, what can I learn from this? What can I grow from this? And the opposite story, that's a very resilient story. Or the other story is, how did I screw this up again? How did they screw this up again? How are we ever going to recover from this? Those are the stories that keep me from being resilient. And I find it is bigger than just like a one person. It's, it's the stories that everybody has inside their head when they get knocked off center. How quickly can they recover? So I totally accept, right? I can get knocked off center every hour. Uh, and sometimes it's big things and sometimes it's little things, right? We all have different practices. So I'm curious for you, like, what practice do you put in place when it happens? And, and maybe an example of where you've done that. The first step I take is to notice my own meanings that I made up right? and to watch out for those meanings that are not based on what actually has happened. I mean, we can fail to get a customer to, to accept our offer and we can say our offer sucks, right? Or they clearly don't know what they're doing or we could just go, so they chose to not use us or they chose to use somebody else. And that's the difference. So I look for what did I make up as a meaning? Did I make it up that there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them? Or did I make up they just did what they did? And the same is true when you're trying to produce an outcome and you're creating an experiment, you get some results back in, and it's just all it means is what happened is what happened. 
then I get to choose to do that. So what would be a good example of that? This is really strange because Michelle, I, I find I use this all the time with myself and with others. It's one of my favorite lines to toss is, is when something happens, I go, so what does that mean? And it's not coming to me as, a, as an example because I use it maybe too often. There's so many of them. Can I step in one? Because you sort of triggered me into something I was thinking about. So thinking about resilience and where that has maybe played a part for me, especially in recent history, right? I would say when I was younger, resilience was probably not one of my better skills because everything annoyed me, right? And as I got on with life, I realized that that was just a, a kind of a waste of energy and I needed to, to continue. But there's one that, that I was thinking, God, where have I had to demonstrate for myself the biggest resilience? And I, and I think it goes back to when I took on caretaking for my mom, right? And when I was doing that, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, I'll be honest with you. I figured, okay, fine. My mom's coming to visit me. It's going to be like just having living like we did when I was 12, right? Or 15 or 18. But it wasn't because she was in her mid-80s and also suffering from Alzheimer's. And where resilience really came in, if anyone listening or will be having this, is when you're taking care of somebody, a caretaker for somebody that has Alzheimer's, at first, I would think she'd ask a question and I'd respond to it and she'd get annoyed. And like, oh my God, I messed up right? I said something that just pissed her off and now she's upset and anxious and all sorts of stuff. And part of it, I had to learn about the disease and that there is a lot of anxiety with it and there is there's a lot with it. So I had to learn resilience in that annoyance and how to center myself to center her, right? And part of the resilience also came in because my daughter, right, who was living with me and, and helping and did a, an amazing job at that, she, my mom would ask a question, my daughter would respond, my mom gets annoyed, and she's like, God, I can't believe I did that, I'm so sorry. And I just would tell her, you know what? You're gonna have another chance at that. Because when you have Alzheimer's, as much as it is, you will be asked the same question over and over again. And you can work out the right answer that provides the right center for both you and her through the whole thing. But without that story of, I'm gonna have another chance at this, and it's perfectly fine, it would have been even more challenging. And that's what I noticed too with others that are caregivers in that space to be able to do that recentering. So that's what comes to mind for me of a recent where I had to really think through resilience because it, it when I first took on caretaking for my mom, I figured it'd be 18 months because her health wasn't that good. And it was five and a half years. And you have to make some adjustments to to make it through that. And I'm grateful and honored that I had the chance to to be with her as long as I was. So another area where resilience, when I think back to my career, was sitting in a meeting, right? We all do that probably more than we might want to. And you have what you consider a brilliant idea. So you spit it out, out into the world and it gets shut down. So there's two things on that. One, I have the story that it was shut down. And with that story, when I was early in my career, I would sort of dwell on that a little bit. It's like, oh my God, they don't believe in me. I'm a jerk. I don't have any good ideas, right? All sorts of things. And I would sit in that for a while. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, and realize 10 minutes have gone by. And I missed the next 10 minutes of that meeting, not being there at all and had no idea what was going on in it. And so I, I eventually figured out that actually that's not helpful for anybody. 
right? Me or the other person. So, or anybody else in the meeting. And what I started the practice of an idea that I've interpreted as was shut down or it's like, well, it's just not the right time for it or something else is going on. And it's like, okay, that's all right. Let's listen and see what else I can come up with and recreate. So for me, that was in the resilience of being from a totally annoyed mood, right? You're just saying, it's, it's just not the right time for that idea or I make up some other story. You know, I need to kind of create something different and get back into the meeting to be able to engage and be part of it from the next moment on rather than waiting 10 minutes before I realize to get back engaged because then I miss so much. So that's one of the areas, at least in business, and as I'm sort of matured in life or realized different practices, I could start to do and it made a difference for me. So that's what comes to mind for me. I don't know, maybe that helps you think of some examples or some things in your own life. Oh, thanks, Michelle. She triggered in for me to remember is those times when I shared a story in a meeting. I'm like an idea, maybe similar to what you're talking about. Like, no, no, this is the idea. I've got it. This is great. And I put it out into the world. And I think my story was when I was not being resilient was they didn't like my idea or they're wrong, or I guess I'm not that good and I need to be quiet now. Instead of acknowledging that, what I did was I created something into the world that somebody else can build off of that. Maybe I can build off of maybe somebody else can build off of. And when I'm not being resilient, and I think the opposite of resilient for me shows up as resistant because I go, I got my stuff. You just, I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to resist everything you guys have. And when you can be resilient, you can be open to putting your, putting your thoughts out, getting them shot. And then, get back in the game again with other people doing the same thing. And when everybody is holding the space of being resilient versus resistant, what we can do is create something that's much greater and much bigger than what we could have ever done before. I do have a specific example where we were working on a particular project that was technology wise is gas turbines and the blades were basically being eroded away by water. And Nobody seemed to know why that was happening. We knew we put water in, but we didn't know what was happening, why of making the blades disintegrate. And it was in that space that several people had great ideas, including myself. And it wasn't until we could all dance and put our ideas out there and then go run some tests that we were able to solve and go, oh, it has nothing to do with the water. It has to do with the little nozzles ahead of that, right? Because we could see that. Then you go like, oh, I got it. But we, they've worked on this for a couple of years and couldn't figure out why the blades were eroding. And being resilient means we can be open to other people's ideas and we can put ours out there. And those stories that are in our head about us being right or not enough or anything else, it's about being able to dance as part of a team, part of a group, and to be okay with when your idea gets shot, go, okay, good, I guess I learned something. And we keep going. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Great practices to help yourself notice and to move on. Have you have any practices or what do you do when you notice, right, the resistance in the room, right? Are there any lines you can toss to somebody or questions or things that you can do to, to break through the, the resistance and open it up a little bit for the, for the whole group, right? Because you said it's a team activity, resistance, and it doesn't work if you're the only one there. Yeah, no, thanks, Michelle. The stories that I, that I tell myself when I find myself being resistant is first one is everybody is just as scared as I am. Everybody has a fear that they're not enough, just like I do. And 
how can I create a space? Because the, the, the idea may be here, not mine, but it may be here. How can I make a safe space for everybody to put their thoughts out? Whether I'm the manager of the group or whether I'm a participant and there's other managers that I'm working for, but how can I get to where everybody feels safe to do that? Some of that is acknowledging ideas when they come in, like to make people feel safe. They made it, they took the courage to share something in, to ask them to do that, right? And, that, and be that in a humble, vulnerable way. That's really good. I hadn't thought of that. Right? And the other thing is to notice when somebody's being really quiet in the corner, right? And to bring, bring their thoughts out. Ask them to invite them into the game. You've been awful quiet over there. What's going through your mind? What are you thinking about? We'd love to hear. And then to let them contribute. And when they put on an idea, right, how do you make them feel safe to do it again? Even though we may not use their idea, they may have added to the overall production of an idea that without them, we wouldn't have got there. How about you, Michelle? Yeah, thanks. So what I was just thinking of is, right, when somebody tosses an idea out, because it may not be the right one for the moment, but acknowledging it, the brain is an amazing thing. And what I mean by that is it can trigger a thought totally different than even the topic that's there for whatever reason and helps you to create something totally new or different. So even in our discussions here, right, the ideas and the things and the stories that are created by your story, it'll trigger one in me that's totally different than the story you have. And I find that fascinating and exciting. So in a meeting, when somebody brings up an idea, right, to acknowledge it, to think through it, and what new idea did that trigger for me? And just think of the new ideas that that triggered for other people. And that's how you get to the nozzle, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a place that you probably never thought you'd get to. It seems like people were trying to figure that out for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I just find it fascinating to have that open environment, what it can produce for us. Right. And what it can trigger for us that is way back deep in that memory to come up with that new creative idea and invent. Thanks, Michelle. How would you create yourself not in the moment of being resistant where you notice because we notice ourselves being resistant, right? Versus resilient, right? How would you create yourself at the beginning of the meeting to help you notice when you're being resistant and to notice when you're being resilient? So one of the practices I've started over the last couple of years that have made a big difference for me is probably two different ways. One is open, which means allowing any idea to come in and accepting. And the other one, even better for me, at least everybody will come up with their own, is the word curious, right? And I'm really curious why somebody thinks something in the way that it is. So you ask questions, you know, tell me more about that. What do you think about that? Why do you think that? in a way to just bring out more of what's in there, right? Instead of shutting somebody down, it opens them up. So that word curious, I keep in the back of my mind almost the entire time now. So sometimes when I notice that little like annoying little person, right? That in in your body that creates and starts to dwell up in you, I'm curious and it stops it in its track. And it's like, oh, and it shifts my thinking. So for me, that's the trigger word is the word curiosity or being curious. How about for yourself? Thanks, Michelle. Two words come to mind. One is being enough, right? So then when you're being enough, you can share your ideas. You can open to other people's ideas. You don't, like your identity is not tied to that performance 
in the space. Your identity can actually be set aside and you're just enough. And whatever happens, you're in that space to dance with it. And the other one is to be modifiable. My old practices were uh, there was a problem and I'd go figure out the problem's answer. And then that was the answer. When we go into a conversation, I was going to convince people that that was the answer. When I move into a place of modifiability or modifiable, I'm in a world of, well, here's an answer. How could it be improved? What could it trigger others to come up with? How can I move beyond the space of being, this is the answer to being resilient in when, when I get knocked down, I get right back up, right? I can be back in the game and adding into it and to acknowledge somebody. I think one of the, one of the best things for me and my confidence, my modifiability, right? Is to acknowledge when somebody comes up with a really good idea and I go, wow, that's really good. And there's something that rewrites my own internal dialogue that I'm open to help when I acknowledge somebody else for bringing in help and it enables me to be modifiable with them versus the, oh, I don't like that answer. Oh, that's really good. I like that answer. What, what, what would the outcomes be or how can we dance with it? And, and to be open and curious in that space. Yeah. What you reminded me of is, is a big project that I was working on. It was a huge project. It's a half a billion dollar project. And I was working with somebody and we had a lot of people on it, hundreds of people. And they said, just tell them what to do. Right, kind of like you have the answer. So I, I actually tried that experiment. I said, okay, let me let me see what happens, right? Because I've got the project plan in front of me. I could tell them what needed to be done by what time frame and all the activities, and that really didn't work very well. So a couple of things, and it, it doesn't work well for me when I think about somebody telling me what to do, right? I don't know why it's just a, it's a trigger because it doesn't open it up, and then it put all the responsibility on me too. Well, you told me to do this, so I did it. That wasn't the right idea. I was like, darn, that didn't work. And they're annoyed and it didn't work. And I didn't actually leave any room for resilience because if you tell somebody what to do, there's no room to go anywhere from there, right? That openness and that curiosity and that modifiability. And so I just shifted the question pretty simpler and saying, this is due on this date. What do you think about this date for this? Or how would you do this? very slight difference, but boy, did it make a difference in the engagement of folks. And why did I think I was more brilliant than the 500 people that were on this project? And there's a lot of good ideas, uh, but it was, it was an interesting experiment for me and one that I remember and still remember for a very long time. Thanks, Michelle. You brought forth for me the myself and I think others when we're really scared because we don't know what we're doing, we will make up a story and tell people what to do. And it's our fear of, like, we don't know what we're doing, the fear of failure, the fear of, and like, you gotta, I got to do it, right? And it's a space where your, best way I can describe it is, your fear has you looking confident to yourself and to others, they feel like they're being told what to do. And like some people are fine with that. And some people are really fine with you messing things up, telling what to do and they mess it up and they go, yeah, but you told me what to do, I did it. And it's real easy to do that where, if you can embrace the fear and say, there's my fear, I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, but this is what I want it to want, what I want it to look like in the outcome. What do you guys think? And you're actually looking for input from others. You're actually giving them the responsibility to come into that. Well, I've noticed over my career, some people are going like, oh, here's, here's an idea. And other people are going like, oh, don't, no, nope, nope. I'm not taking that responsibility. Because then if it fails, I failed. 
I don't want to be, I don't want to be a failure. And so there's a space that we're seeing. I've always seen people are resistant to putting their input in because they're afraid that they will now feel as a failure. And that's a space that they don't want to be into. And I think that's part of the, the fifth revolution or teal teams or team of teams, however it is, the end of hierarchy you look at. One of the biggest spaces we're going to stumble into that people are going to fight against it is taking that responsibility on. Like to say, yes, I'll give you my input, right? And to do it in a way that they can feel like they're having input into it and that they're a part of the team and they're helping create it, right? Without feeling that they have the burden of being right. Like they have to get it right. And then I think you can, you know, we'll see miracles produced all the time, greater than anybody could have thought would happen. But I think that's, that's about how do we get a resilient attitude with everybody versus a resistant attitude. Yeah. What, what you helped me to remember is some of the feelings, right? When, when I talked about this group and, and telling and not everything would work, right? It's just, it's just life, right? <laughs> not everything works out the way you expect it to. And how we handled failure, right? Or something not working the way that it expected. And we, we had a shift that we had to make it uh, because we're working in new territory. The project was one, it wasn't like something that had been done a bazillion times, right? It was something, parts of it really hadn't been done before. So we didn't really know what to expect. And with that more open, what do you think, right? You're engaging people and you're actually trying to come up with ideas and working through. So let's try this and see how it goes. And we used to always have the thing, well, did anybody die, right? I know that sounds dramatic, and I worked in pharmaceuticals, so that actually could be an outcome for some things that we were doing. But we said, okay, there's actually very few things we can do that we can't correct. Very few. So it's okay. Look at all the people that can help us fix or change or modify what we're doing. And it really produced a whole different environment for people where we used to say fail fast. It's okay to fail, but do it as fast as you can so we can pivot and go to the next thing. And that helped to produce, I think, some resilience in the team because they knew it was okay. Matter of fact, you wanted to do it as quick as possible so we could move on to something that's even better. As you, as you worked that story with them working in that space, what showed up for you as far as their changing in like their behaviors or their way of being before they started a next project? Yeah. So, so one of the things I'd say, you know, I could talk about all the things that they did to change, but I think the biggest one is what I did to change, right? In myself. So I was, it was a pretty senior level position and I had the story, failure's not an option, right? The whole thing and got to the point where failure is almost desirable because it helps you produce a better outcome. So I needed to change first, right? With that centering and invite people into that story should they choose? So I think that's one of the biggest differences. And by the way, this was not like a 10 minute thing that I figured out. This is months of working on this project and a lot of suffering to get there. So we, we made it through that particular piece. And then it did carry on because the, the phrase like fail fast or work through that, that carried on from pro- all those people took that thinking to their next project. Because when things are done, right, they, people get dispersed onto their next project and, and life goes on. And it was kind of fun to see that spread into different places. Sometimes people revert back. It depended on things that were going on. But I'd say in the most part, people would always do that assessment. You know, did anybody die? No, okay, we can stay calm and centered. It's all right. We can fix this. 
there's very few things you can't fix. When you look at projects that you might want to join, right, to, to get a, become a part of, how do you look for resilience? So one of the things that I would look for is the mood of the people on the team. And what I mean by that, right? So we worked in an environment sometimes that had like glass walls, right? So you'd go past some teams that are working and they look like they were just wanting to do everything they could to get out of that room, right? Anything they could do. It was horrible. Then you'd see other teams that were in a lighter mood, right? On the whiteboard drawing or doing something or laughing. And sometimes I would just try to figure out like, what are they working on? Like, why is that one? Is it a better project? Are they working on more fun things? And what I found in my observation is no. But when things went wrong, the first thing they would do is laugh about it and say, well, that didn't go as I thought. All right, now what do we do? Right? They were serious, but it wasn't the end of the world. <laughs> it was something to work through. And the other folks had more of a story of wrong, right? That was wrong rather than it didn't, just didn't work out the way as expected. So I, what I noticed, that was the two differences. So the mood of the room. And what I also noticed is that those projects where the mood was lighter and more fun were actually hard to get on. There was competition to be in those groups because it was fun. Who wants to be in the other team when you can have fun all day at work solving just the same difficult problems? Yep. A and... I'm reflecting on my own space of part of my identity became one who could take on those challenges that other, where other people didn't do so well, like the organization wasn't doing well, they were failing, they were whatever that was. And I would take on the, the role of, it's a bad word, but fix them, right? And I never fixed anybody, period, because they were already perfect before I got there. The, the space of how do you take on a group that's not meeting the expectations? good people, right? How do you take on a group like that? And where do you start? Where do you start in that story? So for me, and I'll, I'll answer it for myself, but I'd love to have your, your answer as well. When you, when you notice a group that's not doing well, the first thing that I focus on is having some fun. And it's not play full. It's not like games or, you know, parties or that kind of thing, but to bring fun and smiles into the room, things that can bring openness and let people set their shields down. You got to get to know people to find out who they are. If you want them to be resilient, they have to feel safe in the, in that space. How do you open that up? And that's always the question. I not like I have the answer, but I always am in the space of how can I open it up and let them feel safe enough to be themselves? Cause if they are open to being themselves, they're enough and then they can be resilient. Have you taken on a group that was in trouble? Yeah, I, I have. And I'm, I was thinking through and I have such fondness for this group and still very close with, with a lot of them after probably two years of working it. And where I, I wasn't sure what to do to start. And so when I don't know what to do, I usually start with chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and I, and I'd bring chocolate chip cookies to the meeting because I didn't know what to do next. And it's like, well, people normally, right? like chocolate chip cookies, make sure no allergies or anything. So it's a good way to at least start to bring a smile to somebody's head. And I remember this one group, I, I started the meeting and said, look, at, we're going to start the meeting 10 minutes in the beginning. We'll do a round table, whatever you want to talk about. 
your favorite, most passionate topic that's out there. And it doesn't need to be work-related. Matter of fact, better if it's not. And we started to get to know people. Like one person was really into music and was writing his own music. What a great thing. And then eventually he would explore and treat us to some of the music that he was doing and experimenting with. So people got a chance to meet people at a different level and accept them as a different person. And then we always knew it was kind of like a standard joke when things got really tense or tight, somebody would bring in chocolate chip cookies. And then we knew it was like, okay, it's a reset. And so that's kind of where, what I did. That's cool. Thanks. When I started at our facility in Jacinto Port, which is just outside of Houston, it was relatively early in our, my time there. And it was a group that was in trouble. I mean, the people were great. It was a bad environment. It was a terrible location. And it was probably just a few months into it. And one of my favorite holidays came in, which is talk like a pirate day, right? Which is like just really goofy, right? So I, I brought in Long John Silvers for the entire group, which was about 120 people. So we brought in Long John Silvers, right? And everybody talked like a pirate the whole day. And what it did was it allowed people to have fun, play, work, to open up conversation. And I'd walk around and we had fun talking with each other and we got a lot of work done. It was amazing because the first thing I got a response was, yeah, but you're not going to get work done that day. And it's just the opposite happened. A lot of work got done that day. And we met all of our schedules for that day. And the fun stayed for the rest of the time I was there. But how do you open up that space where they can see work can be fun? And I, I love chocolate chip cookies. That's, that's a great idea. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Like I said, that group is a lot of fondness. And as the group morphs, they went on to lead other groups. And, you know, I, I know some of them continue to the chocolate chip cookie regime. Some develop their own. Food does seem to do that sometimes to, to help people along, doesn't it? And, and that's a great thing to eat together. So, so thank you very much for that. Resilience is a great topic and the world's changing. I don't know if it's changing faster or we're noticing it's changing faster. And I think it's going to be a, a key skill for all of us. I concur. I think the holding a narrative that you can be resilient or you can resist and resilience has opened up whole new spaces to recover quickly and bring who you are back into the game, which is what works for everybody. And I also hold that it's a way to look for who is not being resilient and how do you entice them to jump back in, to get back in the game, to recover their mood and get back in the game. So cool. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Not only does it help the show, but we'd love to hear from you. If you have a minute, share your feedback. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.